Oh, thank you for coming back. Wow. And giving me another chance. Actually, the first message this morning was not, was a different message than the second one. He just didn't recognize it. (laughs) And uh, this message tonight is going to be different than those two, but you probably won't even recognize that. But we are going back to Matthew chapter 5, and we're looking at verse 3 again. And I'm going to try to be uh, more organized tonight, uh, and I could give you some reasons why, uh, but uh, won't. Uh, um, We're going to be trying to walk you through, we actually tried to walk you through three ideas this morning, and I want to add three more ideas, which means that this message tonight has six points. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, So we're looking, of course, at the Beatitudes, the Great Sermon on the Mount. And as you look at it, uh, we're looking at verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And uh, we uh, emphasize the fact this morning, I want to continue to do so, that the end of the Sermon on the Mount gives you a, a feel for where the people were and how they responded and what was going on in their lives and how they received his message. And of course, it was the fact that they were astonished. In chapter 7, verse 28, he tells us that. And we looked into the word astonished a bit, and it's the Greek word explezo, which is ek is the expanded or intensified idea, and plezo is to take something and knock it out or knock it away or cast it out. And so the idea of uh, astonished is the idea of knocked out of their senses. So you get this whole feel that after Jesus delivered this phenomenal message, this This three-chapter Sermon on the Mount thing, it literally knocked them out of their senses. These are people um, who literally said, we've never heard anything like this. These are people who said, this is a whole new thought process for us. This is a people who were looking at each other saying, how could this be true? This is off the wall. This is too far out. This couldn't possibly be reality. This This must be a dream. Where did he get this idea? It was that kind of a response to the message. And it wasn't a response to the message because he started out here and moved them to the climax, which the climax is what did that to them. It was the very first words in his message. And that's what we're dealing with, which forms the foundation for everything. Nothing is going to get worse or better, depending on how you look at it. But nothing is going to get worse in the Sermon on the Mount than the first words he utters. Nothing is going to go beyond that. In other words, this sets the whole tone of everything he's going to do. And you will be able to find everything in the Sermon on the Mount traceable back to the Beatitudes. And you will not find one single concept, one single proposal, not one idea coming at you in the Sermon on the Mount that doesn't come back to the foundation of the eight Beatitudes. It's all right here. So from the very start, he just whammed them. He He just socked them. He just hit them hard and knocked them out of their senses. And the truth was so overwhelming. And what was it that knocked them out of their senses? Well, it was this, number point number one, congratulations. It was this blessed thing that he's literally whacking them on the back and saying, oh, you're there, congratulations. You are so fortunate. Oh, hey, this is really, oh, you're really in a great spot. Well, I'm in a mess. You're really in a great spot. Well, my circumstance, you're really in a great spot. Well, all my kids are, you're just really in a great spot. My finances are, you're really in a great spot. I'm telling you, congratulations. You've arrived. You, you, you have it. It's yours. And reason that's so startling is because every other thought process takes you from here and you begin to work your way up to this arrival state. 
You begin to move into, the only way you can get here is you have to work hard, you have to merit it, you have to pray more, you have to do more, you have to struggle more, you have to try harder, and, and, and you work your way up, and hopefully you will arrive at this point. And Jesus comes along and whacks them on the back and says, oh, you're there. And what every other system says you have to earn, Jesus says, I'm going to give to you. See, if I stand here and tell you, by grace you are saved, you will all say amen. Because you all agree with that. But folks, think about what we've done. You come to an altar of prayer. I come to an altar of prayer. And you know what my language is? I get up and say, I'm going to try harder. Which is what? This system. See, we all believe that you're saved by grace. Yes, thank you, Jesus. But we come to altars and say, I'm going to do more. We talk in terms of serving Jesus instead of letting Jesus serve through us. We talk in terms of, I'm living my life for Christ. You know, I've told you this before, no doubt. But see, that, the natural, automatic follow-through of that is, I'm living my life for Christ. The next statement you ought to make is this. I'm, li I'm living my life for Christ. Isn't he lucky? <laughs> I mean, I got good looks and talent and money too. <laughs> God, you ought to applaud. <laughs> Which puts Christianity in this what? I'm working my way up, see? And we think in those terms, don't we? So we're, we're, so, we're so conditioned to that in our, in our world and in our culture. And to come into a whole new system where you don't work your way up. You don't gain your way in. You don't merit your way to. It's Jesus. The whole thing is in the relationship with the person of Jesus. Where it has nothing to do with what you do at all. It has everything to do with who he is and what he's become in you. Oh, that is so, and that's so fundamentally Christianity. That is, everywhere you go in the scriptures, you constantly, constantly, constantly come back to that one thing. You say, well, I want to go to the kingdom. Well, where is it you're actually going when you say kingdom? Oh, you're going to Jesus because Jesus is the kingdom. Okay, if Jesus is the kingdom, how do you get there? Well, the way to get there is Jesus. Why? Because I am the way. So if he's the way to get there and he's where you're going, oh, when you're on your way, you're already there. Yes! So Jesus is what? The whole thing. You say, oh, I need an overwhelming sacrifice for my sins to bring me into a state of reality with God that I've never had before. Well, what is this sacrifice that you're going to get? Oh, Jesus is the sacrifice. That's right. Well, who's going to offer that sacrifice to you? Oh, Jesus is going to be the high priest. I thought you said he was the sacrifice. He is, but he's the high priest who offers the sacrifice. So Jesus is the whole thing. Wouldn't it be interesting if everything in Christianity comes back to just one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing, and it's the person of Jesus and Jesus only, and your relationship with him and how intimate you are with him and whether you're letting him flow in you and turning him loose in your life. If that is the, he's whacking them on the back, say, oh, congratulations, what everybody else makes you earn, work for, and merit, I'm going to give to you because he's the whole deal. With that congratulations idea, he moves them into this first beatitude, the content of the first beatitude, which is the condition. So you got the congratulations, you got the condition. The condition is what? Poor. 
absolutely poverty stricken. And we suggested to you that there's two Greek words for poverty. One is the Pentecost word, which is the idea of the widow's might. She's the widow. She, she's, she's poverty stricken, but she has two mites, so she has something. This word here is not that. This word here is peteros, which is the idea of absolutely no. It's the strongest word they've got for for just begging poor. Absolutely no resource whatsoever. It's again the idea of cringing, cowering and cringing, covering your face, extending your hand, totally embarrassed, hiding, saying, oh, would you please help me? Because if you don't help me, if you don't contribute, if you don't give me something, if you don't share with me, I'm totally, absolutely out of it. I will not make it one single, I won't make it another day. And this is begging poor. He says, that's exactly where you are. That's so hard, isn't it? Because I'm not poverty stricken. I'm not destitute. I got lots of resource. I can pull. I can get it. Hey, give me the phone. I'll tell her. Say, I can handle this. Come on, I can do that. I'll volunteer for that. I'll volunteer for that in the church because I can pull that off. Hey, I've had training. I can teach the fourth grade boys. I can hit them and not bruise them. Come on, I know how to do that. <laughs> See, we're so, we're so full of ourselves, aren't we? And so full of what we can do for him. And he comes along and says, oh, no, you're stripped down, poverty stricken. You say, well, what, what is the connection? What is the poverty connected to? And he moves you to the connection, which, again, is the last thing we talked about this morning, which is in the spirit. So they're not dealing with materialism. We're not dealing with whether you can hit a ball over a field or over a fence or not. We're not dealing with your talents. We're not dealing with, sure, you're a good electrician. Okay, you're great on computers. But you're hiding, man. You're hiding. Because, see, all the things I can do in my life are simply expressions of not my, they are cover-ups of my helplessness because when you strip me down and bring me down to the spirit I'm talking the core of my living I'm talking what really produces me I'm talking about I'm not talking about things I do I'm talking about who I am in the essence of who I am I'm absolutely I mean I can't I can't get along with my wife I can't get along with my neighbors I don't have the attitude I want to have I don't I hate when I should love I can't I can't pull this off I'm just totally I can't even handle my body drives man let alone I'm, I'm just hey I'm not how am I going to live a holy life how am I going to be the godly I'm I'm I'm, I'm do you understand that my best day my best Best deed on my best day is filthy rags. Because I'm helpless, poverty stricken at the very core of my existence. And we talked about it the creation. He literally formed us out of the dust of the ground, body, a dichotomy, body, and breathed into us the spirit of life. The spirit principle of what makes you who you are. The image stuff. And in, in that I am absolutely helpless. Cannot. I mean, whoa. Totally, totally destitute in my spirit and in what produces me. And to embrace that. Do you realize what happens when you embrace that? When you embrace that resource. Him. Now that brings us to the Fourth idea that I want to propose to you. It's the conflict. I want you to walk through this with me. Come on, track. If you would agree 
at least in theory, agree with the fact that I'm totally, absolutely helpless, destitute, have no resource, and that everything I do out here that seems to give me some kind of self-value is just a cover-up of what's really going on inside, and I'm absolutely, totally helpless at the core of my life. Here I am, helpless. I need resource. Who's going to resource me? I want to propose to you, you've got two choices, according to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You've got two choices. Number one, you can be resourced by him. <laughs> Could that be the reason you're built? In other words, you're not helpless because you sin. You're not helpless because you came from an abusive background. You're not helpless because your parents didn't raise you right. You're not helpless because, hey, you got into a bad marriage. You're not helpless because of your circumstances. You know why you're helpless? He created you that way. You're supposed to be helpless. And the design is that in your helplessness, he would come in his overwhelming resource, and the two of you would get together. And in that getting together, man, I'm really hot about this. Because you see... I've always known Jesus was right and Jesus is the Savior and, and he, I, I need what he did for me on the cross. I've always understood that. I've, I've been raised in the church. I've got a hold of that. That Jesus is the one who's going to save me. And the only chance I've got to go to heaven is Jesus. I understand that. But somehow it never got through to me that I had this possibility of not just about Jesus, not just Jesus there, not just Jesus at the right hand of the Father, not just Jesus in this service, but Jesus actually, not even Jesus just living inside of me, but Jesus intertwined with me we don't have words to express this folks but can you get a hold of the idea that Jesus literally wants to come and mesh himself with you Jesus wants to come and weld himself into you Jesus wants to come and intertwine his life with you Jesus wants to come and take your mind and his mind and literally bring it together until his mind becomes your mind and you think together can you get a hold of the idea that Jesus literally wants to intertwine himself with you until your emotions and his emotions oh you begin to feel like he feels why because he's penetrating and influencing you're a very emotional makeup can you get a hold of the fact that Jesus literally wants to take your nerves and literally wants to intertwine his nerves with your nerves until you literally begin to operate according to his oh can you get a hold of the fact that your eyes and his eyes become and you begin to see like he sees until your whole life is this isn't I'm doing this for Jesus this is this is this is the very intertwining of life together and he until he becomes the resource of your very being Pardon me while I have a fit. Yes. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something? To have that kind of relationship, could that be the normal everyday operation of Christianity where I actually know him, not theology, not doctrine, but I actually know him in the intertwining of his life? Oh, that's got to be true, people. And he says when that takes place, you know what happens? Whoa! You're the kingdom. That the kingdom is not a location that you go to. Again, heaven is that. We understand that. But the kingdom is a relational thing. The kingdom is not a place. It's not a location. It's not a, it's not a place to attend. It's a relationship with him. And in the inner, he isn't the kingdom. Did you understand that God is not in the kingdom alone? You aren't in the kingdom alone. In fact, do you understand our king is a man? And has this.
and that everybody in the kingdom has this. Why? Because they've recognized, I'm a loser, man. I can't. And you're not that way because you're bad. You're that way because he created you that way. I can give you all kinds of dumb illustrations about this. A glove. You don't look at a glove and say, stupid glove doesn't do anything. What are you talking about? A glove does exactly what it's supposed to do. It isn't supposed to do anything. It's helpless. Well, it's right in the middle of everything I know, but it's still helpless. And then when the, hand, the glove in its helplessness, when the glove is suddenly filled with, oh, it begins to do all, it's right in the middle of hoeing the garden. It's right in the middle of the dirty work. It, nothing goes on. That it's, it isn't right in the middle of it, and yet it doesn't do anything, and yet it does everything. How do you explain that? That you are, a, you are helpless, and he comes in, oh, and in, his, in, his, in the intertwining of that thing, you begin, to, you begin to have the destiny of your life fulfilled. So I'm helpless. So where's my resource going to come from? Him. Suppose I say no. I don't want to be filled with him. Oh, you only have one other choice. The devil. What? You're going to say I'm demon possessed? Now come on, track with me. Think this through. Isn't it interesting that God is omnipresent? So in this relationship, he can fill me, and he can fill you at the same time. So I can have the very essence of the life of God indwelt within me. You can have the very essence of the life of God indwelt within you. The devil, see, I believe there's a, I think if you go to Jesus and say, is there a real entity person called the devil? He'd say, I met him. But he's not God. In other words, we haven't got sovereign God Jehovah and sovereign God devil. No, no, no. The, no, the, the biblical truth is never that. It's not sovereign God Jehovah and sovereign God devil. No, he, this, the devil is a created being, folks. He's a fallen angel. We understand that, don't we? Which means he doesn't, he's not everywhere at one time. He's a fast mover, but he's not everywhere at one time. He's limited to one spot like you are. That he's not omniscient and he doesn't know what you're going to do next and he can't predict the future. I mean, he's smart. I agree with that. But at, at best, he's second-guessing you, which is the fun of it because you play all these games with him and he just doesn't know what you're doing next. So you just keep him guessing. And he's not omnipotent. He certainly doesn't match the power of God. So he has none of the characteristics. So what you've got going on is you've got sovereign God, Jehovah, and cockroach devil. So that's what you've got going on. Come on. That's exactly what you've got going on. So when you're talking about being filled with the devil, probably the truth of the matter is you've never, ever, ever, I mean, it's a possibility, I suppose, but who would know for sure? But you've never, ever, probably the devil has never really ever worked on you. Now he has lots of demons, I understand that. Is there a demon for every person? I don't know. <laughs> Are demons multiplying? I doubt it. I don't think so. And as the population multiplies, is there a demon being multiplied for Nah, I wouldn't buy that. I don't know. It doesn't matter. So demons have worked on you, but not the devil. The devil may have, but he has specialized when he comes around. Because he is, 
He's limited to one spot. So the devil doesn't fill you. Could a demon fill you? Yes, we got all kinds of demon possession in the scriptures. We got demon possession in our society. We run into it all the time. But the chances are the devil, hasn't, the devil isn't filling you. And the chances are a demon isn't filling you. Well, here I am in my helplessness. If God isn't filling me, you're saying I'm filled with the devil. Well, not the devil, with the demonic nature. Well, what's the demonic nature? Oh, that's easy. I think I'll do it myself. Well, that's exactly what the devil did, right? Right hand man of God says, I think I'll be God. Now again, you understand, I know I'm not God. I know that. My wife has convinced me. So I know that. I'm not God. Listen, I'm not in charge of Mars. I'm not in charge of Jupiter. I'm not in charge of gravity. Hey, I don't even care about it. God can take care of that. Go out there and be God. Help yourself. See, but I've drawn a circle around here and I've said, I'm going to be God here. So here I'm God. In my life, I'm going to be God. In my life, I'm going to source myself. Can you imagine the ridiculousness of a man who's filled with weakness, who has no resource, deciding that he's going to source himself? Do you know what that produces? failure ever go to the fair and they have this artist and he draws these strange pictures of you I hate it because they always make my nose five times bigger than it is and it's already embarrassing so I uh, you're a cartoon character you're a looney tune strutting around acting like hey Because we're operating on ourselves. And we're filled with ourselves. Do you understand the heart of sin is what? S-I-N. And what we do then is we do all of these things like I hit this ball over the fence. Woo! I man, I'm really good. And we cover all of our... But come on, track it out, man. Track it out. Go back in your life and track out your... Track out your inner spirit. Track out what's going on at the core of your life. Track out your hatred. Track out your failures. And man, I've got a track record that says, I and myself, every time I've sourced myself from the inside out, I've been flat on my face, man, wiped out, and it ended up in disaster. You'd think a guy like me would finally wake up and say, Duh, I'm not doing that anymore. I watch these guys uh, come out of divorce situations, divorce court. Hey, I'm not knocking anybody that's divorced, but I just, I watch these guys. This guy will stomp out of a divorce, just been declared, judge has just declared it. He walks out of that courtroom, shoulders straight. Yes, I showed her. (laughs) What? And inside he's dying. Inside his life is falling apart. 
inside is like death. Inside is like pain. Inside is like, oh, life is. Don't you feel like going up to him and whacking him on the back and saying, what did you win? Bless God, I showed my next door neighbor. I blew my leaves right back over in his yard. Oh. Yay, you're a winner. Oh. What did you win? Hatred and division and he built a fence so you couldn't do it. You got a German shepherd watchdog. Oh. Duh. Bring that in here. I think we ought to sing hymns. Okay. I think we ought to sing choruses. All right. I think we ought to get rid of the guitars. Good. I think we ought to keep the guitar. I want two sets of drums. What are we doing, people? Well, bless God, we got rid of all those contemporary people that want contemporary music, and now we're back to the good old hymns. Let's hold hands in our little circle and sing. You won. What'd you win? Are you getting this? Hey, I've won. I've won fights with my wife. And you know what I found out? Every time I win, I don't win. Hey, man, I don't, I don't want that anymore. Hey, I, hey, I'm done with that, man. In the name of Jesus, I want out of that. I don't, I don't want to be in that. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Come on, man, here you are in your helplessness. Here you are absolutely destitute. And what do you do? You're trying to source yourself. You're living out of your own ideas. You're living out of your own. You've even brought that into religion. And you're living out of your own religious ideas. And your, your religion is that which you produce. And you bite your lip and you count to ten. And you go to anger management. And you get, hey, go to the Christian bookstore. And here's this stack of books. Spend a thousand dollars, man, on self-improvement. How are you going to improve on weakness? Helplessness. Why don't you embrace that? Could I come and embrace my absolute helplessness and say, oh, Jesus, I, please come and make me the kingdom. Make me the kingdom. Now, that brings us to the fifth idea, which is the contradiction. See, in all of this, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a trick. There's a, and it shows up as you, move, as you move through the Beatitudes, which is why I'm bringing up now. See, I come to an older prayer and say, oh, preacher, you're right. I'm going to embrace my, my, my helplessness. I'm embracing that, and I want Jesus to fill me. Now, how do I do this? 
Hey, preacher, I really want to really get out of my helplessness. I, I, I really want to get out of doing it myself. I want to get out of my self-sourcing. I want to get out of my self-doing. I really want to, I'm, I'm done with that. I, I, I really don't want to quit. What's the steps? <laughs> Do you see the ironic trap in that? Because if I gave you one, two, three to get you out of self-sourcing, you would go out and do it, and it would be more self-sourcing. Hello? Martin Luther. He had this list of things, standards for his life. And he tried every day to do them. It'd come up to the end of the day, he'd check off the list. And oh, he failed every day. Never did pull it off. Finally, one day, oh, it was a unique day. Oh, it was the day of his life. Oh, it was the time. And he went, at the end of the day, he came up and checked off all the list. And whoa, he, he had made it. He had made it. He'd done everything on the list just right. It was just, oh, it was the perfect day. And then it dawned on him, oh, man, I just created, I just did the worst of all sins, pride. Do you see that you never get out of self-sourcing by more self-sourcing? And if you believe what the Bible says, you believe that you have been, you have been created then in this poverty, in this, in this poor in spirit, in this helplessness, and that what you and I have done, we have entered into sin. And what sin is, is not a, you do not define, oh, track on this, please. You do not define sin in terms of the activity of the deed. Sin is never described in terms of the activity of the deed. Sin is always described by the sourcing of the deed. Where does it come from? Sin is never defined in terms of the activity of the deed. It isn't the action of the deed that makes a thing a sin. It's where does that deed come from? What sources that deed? What motivates that deed? What brings that deed into existence? That's where you find sin. Which means that there are certain things in life which are always sins. Why? Because they're always motivated out of hell. Adultery, for instance, is always sinful. Every time, anytime, any place, anywhere, under all circumstances, adultery is a sin. Why? Because it's always generated by Self-sourcing, self-centeredness. Well, my wife has been cold, really cold. But God has been good. He gave me this warm secretary. (laughs) No, he didn't. See, you're not thinking about your kids. You're not thinking about your life. You're not thinking about your wife. You're not thinking about my kids. You're not thinking about the church. You're not thinking about your witness. You're not thinking about, what are you thinking about? And adultery is always self-motivated. Comes right out of self-centeredness, which is the heart of sin. It's the demonic nature. But then you see, there's all these other deeds. Example. Suppose the Lord came to me and said, Manly, what I want you to do for the rest of your life is I want you to clean out toilets. I'm going to help you. I'm going to source you. And together you and I will just clean out toilets. I'm not cleaning out toilets. I'm just not going to do that. Hey, 
No, I'm not cleaning out toilets for the rest of my life. What are you going to do, Manly? I'm going to preach. Preaching would be a sin. Why? It's self-sourced. So do you see that any deed could be a sin? Because it isn't the activity of the deed that makes it a sin. It's the sourcing of it. So when you come along and say, oh, I'm helpless. How do I, and I'm self-sourcing, and I'm self-sourcing myself, and and, and I'm covering. How how do I get out of that? Well, you're not going to get out of that by more self-sourcing. In biblical terms, you know what we call it? Death. Crucifixion. It's the presentation of myself to say, oh. Jesus, I'm in over my head, and I just, I'm, in, I'm in a hole, and I cannot get out of it. There's no, I, my mind is so filled with self-sourcing. I've so trained myself in self-sourcing. I'm just so wrapped up in sourcing myself. My whole motivation is self. Even in the best deeds I do, there seems to be an undercurrent of self in it. And, and, and hey, I get upset, and I just, because I'm not recognized, like, and the power thing, and all of this that goes on, it's just all, and it's just, how do I, God, I just, I'm, I'm so stuck on this. Even when I go to an altar, I go to be seen. How am I going to get out of this? Obviously, I will never get myself out of this. Obviously, he's going to have to do something I can't do. Which is why Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. No, I don't. Yes, I do. No, I don't. The life I'm now living, I live by the faith, the sourcing of the Son of God. And what's going on in my life is I'm living, but I'm not living. It's a whole brand new. It's kingdom stuff. I want that for you. I want that for me. I got to have this i got to be filled with this. I want him to come in my life and smash, bring to death. And I hate to knock your song, but if you love the old rugged cross, there's one thing that the old rugged cross song is dead wrong on, and that is I'm going to change the cross for a crown. No, you're not. The cross is an eternal thing. And this idea of death is you don't see it isn't that I'm helpless and then I and he comes and fills my helplessness and now I'm no longer helpless. No, the only way his resource can flow through you is for you to continue to embrace your helplessness, which is where he's going in the next beatitude, the morning thing. He brings you to death, and then you aren't into resurrection. And, oh, I'm glad I went through the death thing. Now I'm into the resurrection thing. No, you stay dead. Paul talks about, I bear in my body the dying. And it's the embracing and the death and the staying in this and the constant recognition of this and the constant embracing of this helplessness and this death that he's turned loose to literally dance on the stage of your life and literally to... Gotta have it. I gotta have him like this. 
And if you say tonight, Manly, you ran it and raved for two hours. It wasn't two hours. It just seemed like that. You've ran it and raved all this time, and I didn't get a thing you said. It doesn't matter. Would you just let Jesus embrace your life in totality? Would you just let him intermix with your being? Would you just, would you just collapse at his feet? Would you just, in, in all the stress, in all the, in all the, in all the, would you just, in fact, why do you have stress? Well, because you're self-sourced. Do you realize that every ounce of stress in your life is a direct result of you're in charge and can't pull it off? And it stresses you out. I'm full of anxiety. Why? Well, because I'm trying my best and it isn't working. I know. Do you realize what this would do to us? Folks, this is the core solution. He starts like this. This is the first step, he says. I'm helpless. Would you come? And when he comes, we become the kingdom. The kingdom. Oh, Jesus. I got to have you like this. Jesus, what do you need to do in my life tonight? I want to invite you in this moment to march down the middle of my life, dear Jesus, and smash, turn upside down, go after, reveal, expose every ounce, every speck, every residue. Of cell sourcing. The demonic nature. I want to be a man. Who's only filled with you. Whose every expression of life. Would be an expression of your heart. And Lord, while I may say dumb things and while I trip over my own ignorance and while God, I'm, could all of that be an expression of who you are in me? So that your attitude and your mind and your thought process and what you're all about and how you think, would you strip me down? Would you bring me into an embrace of your person? Would you save me from myself? Please.
Would you save me from all of my own religion and save me from all of my prayer ego and save me from all my Bible knowledge and save me to yourself. It's about Do you have anything in you tonight that just screams out and says, oh, I'd like to have that kind of relationship with him. Some of us tonight are worn out with religion. We're dead on our feet. We've worked so hard. Could you use the last ounce of energy you got to fall at his feet? Would you please quit? Would you just give up? Would you throw in the towel? Would you resign as general of your universe? Would you let him save you from the depth of your own self-production? Would you let him take you out of a system that's caused you to merit, measure, design for applause? that's worked for God and would you let him fill you embrace you penetrate the depth of your life would you go all out for Jesus in a new way Our altar's open. Oh, man. My heart cries. Jesus, come. Here I am. Want to join me in seeking him?